guess what we're going to talk about? Yeah, okay, you guessed hard, right? Uh, discouragement. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. When I thought when they said, "Okay, here's what you're going to want to talk about. You're going to talk about discouragement." I was like, "Oh, nice. <laughs> Wonderful." Wonderful. But, you know, here's the deal. Out of 8 billion people in the world, can you only guess about how many are truly discouraged at heart? There's a whole, whole lot of people. You know, when I go out into the different places just throughout my day and people find out I'm in ministry, the first thing they do is start telling me about all the hurt and the pain that they suffer in their life. I get that. I've been through a lot of that myself. In fact, I'm not the only one. Discouragement is when you experience a loss in yourself of confidence and when also you lose confidence in God and his ability to work in your life. Many, many great people have suffered with discouragement. Abraham Lincoln was a very discouraged person. He did so many things, and we always have these people way high on a pedestal and think, you know, they're just wonderful, great people, and their life was just always awesome, and, and it wasn't when you find out and you really dig down into their life. Abraham Lincoln was a very depressed man. He was very discouraged most of the time. He had suffered a loss of someone that he loved very much early in life, and then he, remar- he married a lady, had a couple of kids, and those kids actually died at a very young age from typhoid fever. And they said that he, would just, he was just suicidal at times. But yet he did all these great things, so we don't think about those difficulties that he faced in his life. Also, Thomas Jefferson had the same issues. He, was, he had lost his wife at a very young age, and when she died, he had had some back ailments, and it kept him down and depressed and discouraged. And they said that he would sit in a room for long periods of time and not talk to anyone, just quiet, just kind of a dark room. And then Beethoven, the great composer, He started losing his hearing at 24 years of age. By the time he was 44, he was was completely deaf. And what ended up happening is he gave himself to alcohol, and he ended up dying of alcoholism at a very pretty young age, considering all things. So discouragement can really get the best of us. Disappointments are one thing, but discouragement is another layer that's a bit lower than disappointment. When we fall into discouragement, it has to be dealt with. And we don't always like doing that. Nobody wants to have to pick apart and figure out everything that's wrong and how do I get myself out of it. Sometimes when we get discouraged, we're so low, it takes a while. So there's this great prophet in the Bible, Elisha who did a lot of great things. And normally when we read his story, we just think, man, what a powerful thing, because we're always thinking about what he did on Mount Carmel, but we don't think about what all he went through in his life. You know, the thing about it is when Elijah was living and when he was the prophet that was the one that was really heard, he was serving alongside when there was a king in the land that did not serve God and was disobedient to God, which was King Ahab. And when King Ahab married, he married a woman named Jezebel. When he married Jezebel, he ended up marrying a woman that did not have the same religion. She served the bells. 
So what happened is he ended up going more along her side. So he was disobedient to God. So in the meantime, when all of this is going on, the whole land is in disgruntled. They're all divided because God's people are going, what's up? We're starting to serve these other people. And so they're pushing along the bales. And Elijah is saying, whoa, wait a minute. We're not serving God. We need to be serving God. You guys need to be corrected. So he's telling them all these things. So the prophets of God are coming up and saying one thing. And these Baal prophets are saying another thing. So God finally declares, he says, wait, I'm going to put some punishment on the land as a result of this. So he ended up having a great famine in the land, and there was no rain for three years. And when the third year hit, there was so much drought, they actually got together, King Ahab and Elisha, and they were in an argument about whose fault the drought was. And so Elijah said, I tell you what. You really want to know what's going on here? You really want to know what the truth is? I'll tell you what it is. Why don't you meet me up at the top of Mount Carmel, and we're going to go down for real, and we're going to see who the real God really is. So they meet up there, and they bring all of their Baal prophets. They've killed almost all the prophets of God by then, because if they declared something that they didn't want to hear, they just killed them. Elijah was smart. He'd say something, and he'd take off running. <laughs> I'll see you. But the, that's what God said. I'll see y'all later, though. <laughs> so he took off. So here they go. They're meeting at Mount Carmel, and it's about to go down for real. They bring their, their sacrifices. Elijah brings his sacrifices, and there they are. And they, the one thing different that you would do when you did sacrifices back then is you'd set them on fire, right? After you got your sacrifice, you'd set it on fire. They said, okay, we're not going to set them on fire. We're going to ask for you to call down your God and have your God set them on fire. So there they go. They're praying to the bells all day long, all day long. Nothing. Elijah's over there. Why don't you say it a little louder? I don't think your God can hear you. <laughs> Nothing. Finally, by the end of the day, Elijah said, okay, that's it. I'm going to say my prayer. So Elijah prays to God, and the fire comes down, sucks up all of Elijah's offering, and sucks up theirs too. Then Elijah kills all the prophets. And then after that happens, Ahab goes home. He tells his wife Jezebel. And Jezebel says, I am surely going to kill Elijah now. So Elijah gets scared and he starts running. And that's where I want us to take up in 1 Kings 19. This is not in your handout. But Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. He ran so far and he got so tired, he finally sat down under a bush. And he prayed that he would die because he was so discouraged and he was tired of running. He said, God, just take my life. I'm just done. I'm no better than anybody else. You've not done for me all of these things that I hoped. And he was frustrated. And all at once an angel came along and touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there was bread and there was water for him. He laid back down and he went to sleep and the angel touched him again and he said, get up and eat again. And so he said, the journey's going to be long and you need to have some nourishment. So if we look at what he went through, it all began with him being fearful after he had done this great thing for God. Then we see he became weary and tired, but the Lord provided for him to replenish him. 
And then we see that he says, God, he finally talks to him and says, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. All, all your prophets are gone. I've been waiting for you. I'm frustrated. He tells God how he really feels. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain. He goes out and he stands on the mountain. And the God begins to put, bring a powerful wind. And this wind tore down the mountains. This wind tore down all rocks. And then the Lord was not even in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Then suddenly, there's this whisper, and it was soft, and it was sweet, and it was the Lord. And Elijah is just overwhelmed at the goodness of God. Because what he saw was the assurance and the power that God carries. And he looked at that and he said, God, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to go back from where you came. And I want you to anoint people that are going to come up behind you. And by the way, when you're headed back, remember this. I still have 7,000 people serving me. Sometimes in our darkest times, we don't realize what God is doing behind the scenes. We fall way to discouragement. We let our hearts fail us. And we think that trouble is going to suddenly overtake us. Discouragement comes from fear, from failure, and from frustration. Discouragement comes when we are believing for good things to happen. When we think, you know, God, we got this all together. We're doing this your way, Lord. We know we're going to be blessed. And all of a sudden, outcomes are delayed. Or they're completely out of our control. And we, in our human thinking, just don't like that. But here's the deal. God doesn't work according to our human standards, nor our timetables. One of the things that Elijah said to God in 1 Kings 19, 14, and this is where I want us to learn to be real with God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars. They put all your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. He wanted God to fully understand the circumstances in which he was as if God didn't know. But the thing is, is God can handle us being real. Job said in Job 3, 24 through 26, he says, For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. And I'm in nothing but turmoil. And Job, remember him? He was the one attacked for being a good man. 
And everybody's thinking, who is this God that I'm serving anyway? Numbers 21, 4 through 5, after this great deliverance of the Israelites, when they were supposed to be coming out of the torment of where they had been and into the promised land, here's what they say in Numbers 24. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and by the way, we detest the terrible food that you are feeding us, the manna. (laughs) A lot of people don't like what God is doing in their life, and they get deeply discouraged. Here's the interesting thing in Numbers 11. Here's what Moses said about these people that he was supposed to be raising up. I thought this was kind of hilarious. Moses said, I cannot bear these people anymore. I'm done. He said, kill me right here, right now, if I have enough favor with you, God. (laughs) I laughed. I said, wow. So Moses said that in Numbers 11, and back in Numbers, and then you move fast forward to Numbers 21, and you got the people that hate Moses right back. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. You know, here's what I've discovered about discouragement. God wants us to grow up and learn how to deal with discouraging things and still believe and still trust and still believe that he's going to come through for us. Mm, That's a hard thing because we want to be saved ahead of time so we don't have to feel any pain and any hurt and have to function and operate in any faith, right? (laughs) Because faith can't necessarily see where it's going. It believes by hope. It, 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 it does all these things, but then I, I just really, what we're really saying is God give me results. Now, when I was a new believer, I had like this really magnificent transformation. I mean, it was quick, it was real, and my whole family thought I was nuts. Because <laughs> all I did was start talking about Jesus all the time, and my husband looked at me like I was a freak. He said, where's my wife? Where's all your filthy little language? Where did you go? I mean, everything cleaned up, right? And what was really neat is that if someone was sick, like my brother came over and his knee was hurting and it was red and it was swollen, and I laid my hands on it because I just thought God's going to do everything through me right now. And so I laid my hands. I said, God, heal his knee. God healed his knee. And I've never seen anything like that happen since, you know. I mean, I pray for people to get well all the time, and I don't, but I don't necessarily see it. But this I got to see. And I was like, Whoa! God is real. And there was things that I would say that would be just right on target. There was a lady at the dry cleaners. Her and her husband had been trying to have a baby for years. And I told her, well, just let me pray for you <laughs> in the middle of the cleaners. Lord, you know what they want. God, give them a baby. A month later, she's pregnant. I'm like, this stuff really works. (laughs) You know, I prayed for people, and it was just happening. And it was exciting. And then one day in prayer time, I couldn't feel anything, because I had been feeling God really big in my life, you know. It's like, like fireworks all the time. It's me and Jesus, yo. And so it's like all of a sudden I just, I didn't feel his presence so big. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? 
And all of a sudden, I was just like, you know, God, what's going on? He says, I'm taking you off my lap. Well, what exactly does that mean? It means that you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, I don't like that. I just like being a little immature, little whatever, and whatever I say, you do it. He goes, that would be a wizard. That's not me. I can't be pleased without faith. Now you know my power, and I have given you strength to understand, but now walk by faith. That means you don't go by what you feel. You don't go by what you see. You go by what you know about me, about the relationship that we have. I was like, I don't like, I mean, ladies, y'all get this. You ever been just kind of discouraged and, I mean, I, I didn't even go to church that Sunday. I was like, I ain't even, mm-mm, I'm not even going to church. So you get on in the middle of the bed and you put your hair up on your head. You ain't got no makeup on. You're looking real ugly. And you get a big old 32-ounce Pepsi. And you get the Sunday paper and you spread it out all over the bed. And you know that chocolate ice cream is in the freezer hollering your name. And you sit there all Sunday morning. That's what I did. I said, I just, I, I, I cannot believe that I serve a God that is suddenly abandoning me. It's not about you. It's about you growing up. I was needing to learn how to adjust to a new normal. And you know, lots of days people think that people in ministry are like, way up there. So hot with God. No, most days you just really don't feel anything. You just serve by faith and you, you walk with people that hurt. And sometimes you hurt and, and sometimes you're just, you know, you're relatable with them and, and, and you just walk with them and you love them and you encourage them. Nobody is isolated from discouragement. No one. The Lord knows your circumstances and he wants you to persevere and trust him through them. Perseverance is just simply deliberately working toward what you know God can do. If we stay and keep our place in a place of love, forgiveness, justice, kindness, we will see the hand of God work. You know, many people, when we're, when we're like in a, in a mid-place, like midlife, or midway through a project, or just halfway through something. You can get discouraged. This happened to Nehemiah. He was building, and all of a sudden, halfway through, people are making fun of him, and he's da 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 and all kinds of stuff going wrong. You kind of can get discouraged. So there's these halfway marks between where you're at and where God is taking you that you have to learn to encourage yourself. You don't ever give up. Discouragement is usually when you are believing for something that's bigger than you. How bad do you want something? How bad do you really want it? But that's usually where it breaks down, somewhere in the halfway point. Psalms 42, 5 through 7 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why are you so disturbed within me? Why? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, and from the Mount Mizar, deep calls unto deep. Now here's one thing about all these different places that he's talking about right here. All these places were beautiful places where David used to stand up at the top of mountains and he would look down into the land where there was a cool breeze blowing on his face and he could feel the presence of God so big. And that's what he said, I will learn to lean in to these times. These are the things that I will choose to remember. When we're hurting, when we're going through difficulties, we need rest. We need to take a pause. We need to understand that God is with us. And you need to watch out who you hang out with. Because negative people, when you're already discouraged, won't do you no favors. There's a lot of people that are around in our lives that we let just come on and, and get close to us. But then there's a time where you just need to go, hmm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I am not going there with you right now. I love you to death, but there is no way that I am going there with you right now. And God wants you to protect yourself in those times. Discouragement can also come from disobedience. Now, God hates sin. And under the old covenant, people used to die for their sin. Under the new covenant, Jesus died for our sin. Well, thank God. That means it's one prayer away. And you know what the thing is, is when we get into this area of disobedience, I'm going to talk about it for just a second, because there's lots of times where we just kind of miss the mark. It's like, you know, I really wish I hadn't done that. You know, you just, you, you kind of get backed in the corner and you do something you wish you hadn't done. But then there's this disobedience that comes from knowing better ahead of time. Man, that really discourages you. When you know you should have known better ahead of time, but you pursued it, you let your thought life go on too far, and before you know it, it's overtaking you, and you're in an area where you should not be at all, and you find yourself far from God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, shoot, it's quiet in here. Oh, goodness. And you think you can't find your way back. And your heart is forlorn and you're discouraged. And you're thinking, God, you know, how do I find myself, how do I find myself back to you? I mean, how, how do I do this? I'm, I'm so lost. I don't think you, you're going to, I don't think you're going to care about me anymore because I've, I've made mistakes. You know, we forget that Jesus is there for us, even when we purposefully disobey. But here's the warning about repetitious disobedience. 
when you get into that thing and that cycle and you keep on doing it, pretty soon your heart is hardened and you don't really care. You just do it and you don't care anymore. And it doesn't, you don't feel that tug on your heart anymore. That is not a good place. That's when your heart can suddenly have an iniquity. That's something that's deeper, that's harder to reach. But God still reaches them. 1 Samuel 28, 15. Now, this is where King Saul found himself in a pretty distressful place. He says, I am in great distress, Saul said, and the Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. Now, we all know that Saul was the king that was disobedient. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams, so I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and became your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. And the Lord has done this to you today. You know, that's one thing I just hate about the way our flesh is and the way the devil works against us. He never shows us the consequences ahead of time. I assure you that Saul had no idea that he was going to lose his entire kingdom, even though all the prophets were trying to tell him. He was like, nope, 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 nope. I'm the king. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, you may not be in this condition, but you may have loved ones that are. You may have loved ones that are, you know what, they are going so hard the other way, and it's breaking your heart. They may be suffering and God may be saying to you, get your hands off of them. If you don't remove your hands from them, I can't work. And trust me, that, it's a hard thing when you love someone. I think of our children or just family that we want to reach so badly. You can't nag them enough. You can't scold them. You can't argue with them. You can't, you can't talk them into it. You can't get into fear about it. And you certainly can't control other people. It never works. And you cannot arrange enough perfect circumstances to make things come out the way that you hope that they will. You have to do a free fall in trusting God. God will bring correction in your life, discouragement and discipline. Discouragement and discipline. God will bring correction in your life, but he does it out of love. You know, and the thing about correction is we feel like we're not loved anymore. We feel like somehow God has completely left us when he's bringing correction. Instead of focusing on our faults, we have to focus on the cross. We have to remember how big God is. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 7, it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardships as discipline. 
God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? Discipline is a good thing. And if you are discouraged and you feel like you're in that place of discipline, let God have his way. Because it's for your growth and it's for your good. And just understand before you think that you are in, caught in something, an addiction or whatever it is, before you think that you are so big that you can't fix this, you are forgetting how big your God is. This becomes an issue of surrender. And surrender is not an easy thing to do. I have been dealt with so much on surrender, and I'm going to tell you just one of my big ones, because it was a hard one for me, is submission. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. That's about how I used to say that scripture. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I like that submission. What exactly does that mean? I bring you a glass of water on my knees? Huh? I mean, you know, the devil always wants you to see things, you know, just way over one way or way over the other way. And so, you know, it was, it was particularly difficult for me because I'd had a, a very difficult background. And my, I had a lot of abuse in my life and a lot of terrible things that happened. I was, I was raped as a, as a very young girl, so I had just a tremendous fear. Um, and so I, I, was, I was controlling because I thought I could control anybody hurting me. So I, even when I got into my marriage, I, I just had a lot of fear. And, and, of course, you don't see this ahead of time, right? It doesn't hit till it hits. <laughs> so God began to deal with me and say, you know, I really need you to submit to your husband. And I did not understand what that meant. And so what I started discovering is that if, if he even said something, like, could you go pick up the cleaners? I don't know what you think I am. What? Get your own cleaners. Now, I'm staying at home, you know, with the kids. It's obvious it's easy for me to go to the cleaners. And he's on the road like every week. But I had attitude about it, you know. And, and, and you know, he, just the least little thing he would ask me to do, I would be offended. And I'm thinking, you know, th this can't be right. And so God's dealing with me. He said, you know, this is where I'm dealing with you. And let me tell you, if these things had not aligned there would be great issue in my marriage today. But so I ended up having to spend a lot of time just researching what does submission mean and all of these things, you know. And, and it's, it truly is surrendering your will to another and preferring others over yourself. And, and, and I didn't know how to do that. So as I began to learn, and, and it was not easy. I did some carpet time, and carpet time for me is on my face crying and holding on to the carpet. <laughs> carpet time, okay? Oh, God, what is that? You're going to let somebody hurt me. <laughs> God is not going to let anybody hurt me. If you hurt me, you're going to have to deal with God. And we just sometimes forget that. So when God is calling us to submit or when God is calling us into obedience because we're in this place of disobedience, it's all for our good. But we forget all that stuff. I wouldn't be able to do the stuff that I do today if I had not taken care of this. Isaiah 26, 16 says, Lord, they came to you in their distress when you disciplined them. They could barely whisper a prayer. 
Peter. He was going to be so strong. Jesus, I'm not going to let anybody take you down. They're going to have to deal with me first. <laughs> Wasn't even a day later he's denying. I don't even know who that guy is. We're so weak, and he is so strong. And we forget this during this process. We have to learn to resist discouragement. Don't focus on our weaknesses. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We deal with our issues one issue at a time. As God begins to unpack your heart and show you what's in it, he is calling you to be diso- he's calling you to be obedient in that. So he can bring you into order so that he can bless your life. This is about bringing life. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Sometimes I think we would prefer to worry instead of having faith. You ever heard that saying, pray or worry, but for goodness sakes, don't do both. We have to learn to to resist our discouragement and learn to pull it down and learn what God wants to do in our lives. Joy is rooted, is not rooted in how well things are going. Joy is this inner peace in knowing that God is with you no matter what you face. You know, Kay Warren and Rick Warren lost their son to suicide. And I heard her in person give her testimony about that day and what happened. Now, these are worst-case scenarios. You know, nobody wants to go through anything like that. So they're out in the driveway. The police are there, and she has a necklace on that says joy. And she knew in her spirit something terrible was happening. She already could feel it. But she began to declare, even at that moment, she held her necklace up and she said, I will choose joy. And it was, she was only two minutes from finding out that her son had taken his life. How do you do this? This discouragement becomes a supernatural issue. I don't believe that some things can be overcome without God's power and his intervention. She said, I will force joy into my painful circumstances. There are 25 verses in the Bible that says rejoice no matter what. We have to train ourselves in joy. We have to train ourselves to speak favorably of the Lord no matter what we go through. Paul had a difficult calling in his life. He had no soft assignment. His assignment was hard. But he learned to be grateful in all things. And this was more than what we can humanly live. He taught himself to have joy by choice. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10 It's so good. I just want to read it to you. And I didn't put it in your outline because it's kind of long. 
But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, and in sleepless nights, and in times of hunger, in purity, in understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, with sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor, through bad reports and through good reports, through genuineness but yet dishonor, ba- through, through, uh, and yet we're, we're genuine but we're regarded as imposters. In other words, most people did not get him. Most people had to take a second look and go, what, what, who's this guy? And he had this great calling. Regarded as unknown, Regarded as dying, yet we keep living. Beaten, but we're not dead. Sorrowful, but we're still rejoicing. Poor, but we're rich. Having nothing, but we have everything. This was the way Paul learned to live his life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He won't put on us more than we can bear. This is hard stuff. But listen to what joy does. When you really accept it at the heart level, not based on circumstance. Listen to this. Joy will boost your immune system. It fights stress and pain. It makes you laugh. It makes you healthy. It motivates you. It inspires you. And it creates life connection. It's contagious. People love to be around joyful people. We get God's perspective when we spend time with him, when we trust him like Elijah did. Because Elijah put himself off into that cave and he said, God, I need to hear from you. He said, okay, okay, I'm about to pass you by. I'm going to remind you of how powerful I am. We need to learn as people of God to stand with those that are discouraged. Hebrews 13.3 says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you together with them were in prison, and those who were mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Do you know that Jesus says, I'm coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. I'm coming for a people that are prepared. I'm coming for a people who are contagious when they're around other people who don't know me. If we're a sick, measly church, we are not contagious. We are not making changes and differences in those around us. If we don't talk about the goodness of the Lord, we are not very contagious. My question to you is, are you discouraged today? Are there areas of your life that are out of control? Or maybe maybe you're one of those guys, you got everything. No, actually, I don't even think about stuff like that. Maybe God needs to wake you up. (laughs) He says, I wake up the hearts of people. He says, let your heart not be troubled. God is the plan. And discouragement is a temptation that is common to man. That means we have to tap into something supernatural to grab a hold of discouragement and breaking it off. Discouragement is to be dealt with. 
When you're having a hard time, you fight. Faith fuels courage. You dislodge discouragement by believing in promises. What shall separate me from the love of God? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid that if you really believe God to turn something around, that it just may not happen? What are you afraid of? Let me tell you, discouragement is only permanent if you want it to be. And I started this talk out with telling you there was a lot of great people who were very discouraged who died that way. It does not have to be us. You walk out your faith. It's the difference that makes all the difference. Don't linger in it too long. It can become a permanent parking spot, and you don't want that. When you're discouraged, you need to rest. Spend time in the presence of God. Don't neglect your fears, but take that situation and you start putting your faith on it. And you start believing and proclaiming what God wants you to do. All of the places, all of the markers in your life that have been terrible places that you really don't like to think about, you will find tremendous growth. John 16, says, don't be ruled by what you see, but walk by faith. One way to pull yourself out of self-focus is by helping others. Get outside the box. Start helping some other people. It's one of the things that we're doing right here at LifePoint. We're going to do this Time to Dream campaign. We're going to get outside in our community, and we're going to serve other people. We've got all kinds of plans for that. You can find out more about that at that booth out there. But that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to grow. And he wants us to learn through discouragement about how powerful he really is. To where when you're facing discouragement in your mature years, in your mature faith, you're just like, I've been through this before. I know how to persevere through stuff like this. Because I serve a God of hope. And that's where God wants your heart to be. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that no matter what we go through, that you're teaching and you're training us to be everything that you've called us to be. And Father, I pray that as your spirit is here even right now, that you are searching the hearts of people and you're bringing to mind right now, God, these areas where they have been forlorn in spirit. And you're beginning to train them on how to believe and have trust and have faith in you and where you're working in their life. And God, for those who don't know you, in that deep and intimate place, Lord, would you awaken their heart even now and show them, Lord, that you're with them. Show them that you are wanting to touch their heart, that you're wanting to draw them close, that you're wanting to hear their prayers, that you're wanting to have communion with them. Lord, I pray that you would meet each and every need in this room. I pray that each and every person would have that deep relationship with you. 
And you may be sitting here today and saying, you know, I've never really taken that step. I've never really said, God, I give you my whole heart. Maybe you said the prayer. Maybe you said, Jesus, yes, forgive me of my sins and all that. But you've never really fully surrendered and Jesus is not your Lord. Jesus is Lord of all or Lord of nothing. And I encourage you to take that step today and ask him into your heart and saying, God, be Lord of all. All my pain, all my hurt, all my joy, every area, God, be Lord of all. And if you have taken that step, I want you to mark your card and I'll get information for you that will help you to grow closer and to have that spiritual walk that you know you've always needed. God is working in you. He is there for you. And he wants relationship with you. So Lord, we give you all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.